الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد Today inshallah we will cover Surah Al-Ikhlas This is one of those surahs that we find many virtues related to it Among the virtues that are mentioned about Surah Al-Ikhlas and uh, some of the ahadith that come related to it, there's one, there's a couple in Sahih Al-Bukhari. One time there was a Sahabi radiallahu anhum. This actually, we have two different narrations that have similar events. There's one Sahabi radiallahu who the Prophet sallallahu sent on an expedition. And uh, this Sahabi radiallahu an would always finish the prayer reciting Surah Al-Ikhlas. So the other Sahaba, when they returned, they went and they informed the Prophet sallallahu that Ya Rasulullah, this Sahabi, he is uh, reciting Surah Al-Ikhlas. He finishes the prayer with Surah Al-Ikhlas. And in the, in the last rakat, when he recites, he recites Surah Al-Ikhlas. The Prophet sallallahu said to them, go and ask him why. So he responded, he said, Because it is the description of Rahman. This surah describes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I love to recite it. So when they informed the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam of this, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam then said, Inform him that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves him. Most of us will recite this surah because it's short. We want to get done with prayer quickly, and so we recite it. But these sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'in, they would recite it because they had love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this surah describes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A lover always wants to see the qualities and the, the attributes of the beloved mentioned to him all the time. They always want to talk about the one they love. And so the Sahaba radiallahu anhum having so much love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this surah talking about some of the core attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, foundational in fact, because the, the core Discussion in this surah is the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, tawheed. Many of us may hear in khutbah, one of the most common khutbahs that's given in, on Jumu'ah, one of the lines and st statements in that is, Wahidullah fa inna tawheeda ra'su ta'at. Obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as one, recognize Allah as one. Wahidullah, have tawheed, recognize Allah as one. That recognition that Allah is one is the fountainhead of all worship. All worship stems from that. Any worship that is true worship of Allah must stem from this. Anyone who believes anything contrary, his worship cannot be accepted. Anyone who believes that Allah has partners or Allah has a son or Allah has a daughter or Allah Ta'ala has a father or Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala um, uh, 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 there's, there's multiples 
na'udhu billahi min dhalik anyone who has any type of belief like that he is not a muslim she is not a muslim and hence none of their actions could be accepted this is the core foundational belief of the muslim this is where all of the other beliefs stem forth from allah exists allah is one allah has no partner Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has no children. Allah ta'ala has no father, no parent. Allah ta'ala is not in need of anyone. And everything is in need of Allah. In another narration, uh, there was a sahabi who was appointed as an imam of a, of a locality. This sahabi, his habit was whenever he would begin the recitation in every rak'ah he would, uh, after Fatiha, he would recite Surah Al-Ikhlas. Then after reciting Surah Al-Ikhlas, he would recite another surah or some other portion of the Quran. But he would always recite Surah Al-Ikhlas first. So the companions who prayed behind him, they said to him that, look, you know, you recite Surah Al-Ikhlas in, in, the, in, in the recitation, and then you recite something else. Why don't you just suffice with Surah Al-Ikhlas? Or why don't you recite something else? Why recite both? And he responded, he said, you know, I, I love to recite Surah Al-Ikhlas. So they went and they mentioned this to the Prophet They went and they mentioned to the Prophet So the Prophet asked, he responded, the Sahabi who was Imam, he responded, said, Inni uhibbuha. He said, I love this Surah. Of course, why would he love this surah? It is because, again, of the contents of, the, of, the, uh, of what is being discussed in this surah, the oneness of Allah. So the Prophet ﷺ in response, he said, Your love of it, your love of this surah, it will make you enter paradise. Your love of this surah will, uh, will be the reason for you to enter into paradise. will be the cause of it. Why again? Because this, why did he love this surah? Again, because it talks about the oneness of Allah. And loving this surah means what? A person has love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I know in the in the last couple of sessions, um, the uh, tafsir of Surah Al-Falaq and Surah Al-Nas was also discussed. And so there are also a hadith that talk about three, all three of these surahs, Surah Al-Ikhlas, Surah Al-Falaq, and Surah Al-Nas. These are very powerful surahs. They're short surahs, but very powerful. Uh, they, they serve as protection. Uh, it comes in one narration, the Prophet said, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدُ وَالْمُعَوَّذَتَيْنِ حِينَ تُمْسِي وَحِينَ تُصْبِحُ تَكْفِيكَ كُلَّ يَوْمٍ مَرَّتَيْنِ a person who recites Surah Al-Ikhlas and the Mu'awwadatayn. Mu'awwadatayn refer to Falaq and Nas. Once in the evening, once in the morning, it will suffice him for the whole day. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, his own practice, Aisha radiallahu anha mentions, is that before the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would go to bed, he would recite these three surahs. Then while lying down, he would recite these surahs, he would blow in his hands, and then he would rub his hands as much as he could over his body. He would, rub, he would wipe them over his face, his head, his chest, and wherever his hands could reach to. In fact, 
in the Shamail of Imam Tirmidhi rahimahullah, there's a narration that mentions that when towards the end of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's life, when uh, he became uh, ill and weak, um, and he wasn't able to do it himself, Aisha radiallahu anha would recite these three surahs and then blow in her, on, in her hands and then wipe her hands on the body of the Prophet So we find a great deal of virtue, not only of Suratul Ikhlas, but all three of these surahs. In another uh, common uh, hadith, I believe most of us have heard, most of us know, is that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Suratul Ikhlas is equal to one third of the Quran. Is equal to one third of the Quran. One time Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam asked the Sahaba, that any of you are able to recite one third of the Quran in one day? He said, Ya Rasulullah, how could we recite one third? One third, that's 10 juz. 10 juz is a lot. Every single day. Well, he said, know that reciting Suratul Ikhlas is equivalent to one third. Now, this does bring about a question, and that is, well, does that mean I could recite, you know, Qul Allahu Ahad three times, and then that's enough, I don't need to recite the rest of the Quran? Naturally, this question may come. So, keep in mind, you know, when it comes to deeds, I think the best way I can explain this is, that deeds have two aspects to them. They have two elements. There is a quantitative element and there's a qualitative element. Okay, a quantitative element and a qualitative element. Uh, I think with an example, it should become clear. We know that in the month of Ramadan, any action that a person does is multiplied by a lot. Right? In some narrations it comes, it could be multiplied you know, 700 times or maybe even more than 700 times. In fact, it's up to the mercy of Allah Ta'ala if Allah Ta'ala wants to uh, multiply it greater than 700 times. So we see there's a quantitative element here. Now, if, imagine if everyone decides to give zakat in the month of Ramadan. Why? Because well, in the month of Ramadan, deeds are multiplied then what's going to happen? Well, the people who are poor and the people who are in need, they're not just in need in the month of Ramadan. They're in need throughout the year. In fact, Ramadan may be the one month where they probably uh, get the most. The, the Ramadan may be the one month where they probably aren't that much in need. But what about the rest of the months? Right. So whenever you're able to actually fulfill the need of someone who is in need. Right. So it could be the month of Safar. And there's somebody who's in need, who's in dire need. And you give your zakat at that time to him. Now there's a qualitative element there. You assisted someone at the time of need. There's a qualitative aspect to it. So sometimes the qualitative element outweighs the quantitative element. So even though, yes, you're giving zakat in the month of Ramadan, but maybe there's nobody in need in the month of Ramadan. So you, your, your deed is getting multiplied, but sometime other in the year, somebody is in dire need. And at that time to fulfill that person's need, you give your zakat, you give sadaqah. Now there's a qualitative element. There's a qualitative aspect. So there are times where that qualitative aspect outweighs the quantitative aspect. So similarly, reciting Suratul Ikhlas is equal to one third of the Quran, but that's from a quantitative aspect. 
a person who actually reads one, one third of the Quran, now there's a qualitative aspect to it. There's a qualitative aspect. A person who recites the Qul three times, yes, in terms of quantity, the reward may be equal to reciting one whole Quran. But a person who recites the whole Quran, even if it takes him a couple of days, even if it takes him a month or so, there's a separate type of qualitative barakah that is produced from that. So not, no one should ever feel that, oh, well, just because I'm reciting Surah Al-Ikhlas, I don't need to recite the Quran. I'm, I, I recited 10 juz today. I've recited 10 juz. No, you haven't recited 10 juz. You got the reward of reciting 10 juz. But that shouldn't prevent you from reciting 10 juz. Because the qualitative reward of reciting 10 juz is different. Okay? So a lot of times, you know, you'll find in narrations there are things like that. If, if a person does this action, there's this much reward. If a person does this action, there's this much reward. And a, a person may think that, oh, if I do this action, I don't need to do X, Y, and Z other actions. No, you should do other actions as well. These narrations are there to encourage this specific thing. It's not there to deter you from other actions. So for example, this narration of, you know, anyone who recites Surah Al-Ikhlas, uh, it's as if they've recited one-tenth of the Qur'an or the reward of it is one-tenth. It's to encourage you, motivate you to recite Surah Al-Ikhlas often. It's not there to deter you from not reciting the rest of the Qur'an. Okay, so I think that's a very important thing to keep in mind. In any case, we find that there is a lot of barakah, there's a lot of reward, there are a lot of virtues associated to this Surah. So inshallah, let's, let's begin. And I'll recite the whole surah first. Um, you know, in these uh, tafsir sessions, alhamdulillah, at the moment we're having these tafsir sessions online, inshallah, hopefully once the programs and everything uh, goes back to normal, these pro some of these programs will be held in the masjid. You know, the tafsir, we were having that before in the masjid, inshallah, that will at some point in time we make dua that it resumes in the masjid. But, you know, when we're home, it gives us the opportunity that when we're reciting the surah, if we have the mushaf open and we're following along, that has two benefits. One benefit is you, you're following along. And you can see how I'm pronouncing each word. That way, you can try to pronounce the, the words and the ayat in a similar way. That way, it will help correct the tajweed. The second benefit of having a mushaf open is that you will be able to recall. You'll be able to see the word and whatever explanation is attached to the word, you'll be able to recall that anytime you recite the surah. Insha'Allah, right? So next time you're reciting Surah Al-Ikhlas in prayer, the word comes, for example, the word As-Samad comes. Now you'll be able to associate whatever, you know, um, meaning that's attached to it with this word. And so you'll keep that in, in, in mind when you're reciting it. And in fact, you know, a lot of times, um, uh, just to give you a little brief um, background about why surahs of, of, the, of the prayer. These are the surahs that often people recite in prayer. These are the short surahs that uh, every Muslim pretty much memorizes, right? The last 10, last 20 surahs are generally those surahs that every Muslim has memorized. And every Muslim will then obviously recite in the prayer. 
the thing is, one of the common, most common questions that come to us is, how do I make my prayer more engaging? How do I improve my prayer? How do I increase the spirituality in my prayer? Keep in mind, prayer is something that you have to work on. Think of it like a skill, right? You don't develop a skill over a day. Maybe perhaps certain skills, right? But depending on how significant the skill is and how difficult the skill is, it's going to take some time. Yeah, maybe there are certain skills you can learn within a day. But the loftier the goal is, the longer the time it's going to take. And you have to be ready to spend that time. Okay. Similarly, when it comes to prayer, that's a very lofty goal. To be able to have a connection with Allah in your prayer. To be able to pray in such a way where you're mindful and conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's a very lofty goal. And it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful goal. Everyone should have that goal that I want to have a prayer where my mind is attached and connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. My heart is connected to Allah. This is one of the characteristics that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions about the believers. قَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِي صَلَاتِهِمْ خَاشِعُونَ This is in fact the very first description after the fact that Allah ta'ala calls them believers, they believe in Allah. The very first thing Allah Ta'ala mentions in this ayah, in Surah Al-Mu'minun, uh, is that there are those who have khushur in their prayer. They have a concentration, they have a fear of Allah Ta'ala, their heart is connected to Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala. So how do we build that connection? Well, one of the easiest ways is to know what you're reciting in prayer. When you say Allahu Akbar, what does Allahu Akbar mean? When you read the Thana, Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika, do you know what you're saying? When you're reciting Surah Al-Fatiha, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, are you just you know, racing through it or are you actually trying to ponder over the words? You can only ponder over the words properly if you know what you're reading. That's one of the benefits of learning the tafsir of, of these surahs. So that when the next time you stand in prayer and you're reciting these ayat, you keep in mind that the translation and the meaning of these ayat, that is going to help remove any waswasa. That's going to help remove uh, any, uh, any type of uh, uh, you know, random thoughts coming to your mind. Why? Because now you're paying attention to something. Most often what happens is when we're reciting or when we're in prayer, if we're praying especially by ourselves, um, we don't know what we're reciting. So we're just kind of, you know, zooming through it. Or if, for example, we're, we're praying behind an imam. Now, I know in, the, in those prayers where there's no recitation, it may be a little bit difficult. But even, for example, those prayers like Maghrib, Isha, and Fajr, where the imam is reciting out loud, we don't know what the imam is saying. So if we don't know what the imam is saying, we're not going to be able to have that kind of concentration in prayer. And I, rec you know, uh, I can uh, assure that anyone who does study a little bit of Arabic, who studies a little bit of the Quran, they will appreciate this more. Uh, I know, alhamdulillah, um, right now at our seminary, we're having our exams. And so the students who did the one-year program, it's a one-year you know, Arabic and Islamic intensive program. And one of the things you study, one of the you know, focuses of the program is the Arabic language. 
So a lot of the students will come up and they'll tell the teachers, you know, I've had a couple of them come to me and say, you know, after studying Arabic, after studying, you know, a little bit of the Quran as well, you know, when we stand in prayer, we're able to understand what we're, what we're listening to, what we're, we're able to understand what we're reciting. And that has a profound effect on our, on our prayer. We feel more connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, again, as a side note, keep in mind that the Arabic language is a very, uh, it's ingrained within our deen because the Quran is in Arabic. The hadith of the Prophet is in, are, are in Arabic. So it has a very strong connection to our deen. And it's something that you know, I would say every Muslim should try their best to learn uh, um, some degree of Quranic Arabic. You may not be fluent, no problem. Um, you don't need to learn the, the colloquial, you know, the different dialects that are out there today. The Quranic Arabic, simple, basic, even if you don't know the, the in-depth, you know, meanings. I'm not saying that know enough and then start your own tafsir program. No, but just enough that it benefits you. That when you stand in prayer and you're reciting, you know what's being said. You know what Allah Ta'ala is saying to you. In fact, not even in the prayer, but outside of the prayer when you're reciting the Quran. You know what Allah Ta'ala is saying to you? What is Allah, what is Allah Ta'ala communicating to you? Right? Words are our medium of communication. That's how we communicate with each other. Likewise, the Quran is, is the medium through which Allah is communicating with us. It was sent to the Prophet The Prophet explained it. This was one of the responsibilities of the Prophet to explain to them what has been revealed to them. So that's all in Arabic. And a person who begins to understand that uh, and begins to understand the Arabic language will have a stronger connection, uh, definitely with the Quran, with the prayer, uh, and, and uh, uh, even with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, we'll begin with the surah. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Qul huwa Allahu ahad. Allahu samad. Lam yalid wa lam yulad. Wa lam yakullahu kufuwan ahad. Sadaqallahul azim. So we'll go over a brief translation of it first. Qul means say. Qul huwa Allahu ahad. Say he is Allah, the one. Allahu samad. Allah, the everlasting refuge. Everlasting refuge. Samad. Lam yalid. He has not begot anyone. Yani he, no one has come forth from him in the sense of like children. He is not given birth, or nor is he a father of anyone. Walam yulad, nor was he begotten. And he doesn't have any parents. Walam yakullahu kufuwan ahad. And no one, absolutely no one is equal to him. Kufuwan here means to be equal, to be similar, to be same. Qulhu Allahu ahad. Allah is one. This Confirm this statement has two things that are any we can understand two things from here. Number one, Allah exists, and number two, Allah is one. Allah exists. Allah Taala mentions in many different ayat, in many different verses, 
Allah Ta'ala engages the readers and he says, ponder, look at what we have created. If you look at the creation of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala and you see the world around you, necessarily you will have to come to the conclusion that there is some being that created all of this. There's some being who brought all of this into existence. You look at your own creation. There are many things we today we don't even know about despite our advancements in the field of medicine and science. There are still so many things about the human body that we're still learning about. Forget about looking at the rest of the world. Forget about looking at the universe. Just within our own selves, there are things that we don't know yet. We're still learning. We're still discovering. You see the human body and how it functions. Anybody who has even a cursory knowledge of, of biology and, and understands how different organs function and the, uh, uh, the smallest part of the human being, the, being the, the living part of the human being is the cell and how the cell is composed of so many different other organelles. It's, it's amazing, subhanAllah. It's amazing how all of that works together. And yet, a person, it, it doesn't make sense to me how when a person looks at this but doesn't recognize that there has to be someone who created this. Any, there's such a perfect system that's in working in play within our body. This is just one cell that I'm talking about, right? Then there's different organs, how they, how they work together, how they collaborate, if you want to so call it. The heart, the lungs, the brain, and the eyes, the ears, all of it working together. And you're seeing this, you're observing this. How can that not allow a person to recognize that there has to be some being out there? All right? If you do look farther than that, you look at the world, how the world is, the earth, the planet, what this planet has to offer. There's no other planet like this planet in the universe, at least not that we've discovered and yet. yet. The earth, how it orbits the sun. The movement of the moon, the, the earth and the moon and their movement and their rotation and their orbit around the sun, around the moon's orbit around the earth, the earth's orbit around the sun, or the planets, anyone who takes a, uh, an astronomy class, subhanAllah, there's just so much precision in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation. Within this planet, you go into uh, 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 looking into the, the oceans, subhanAllah, marvelous. There are things about the oceans that today we still have not discovered. All of that, all of that is indicating to this idea that Allah exists. And it's indicating to the fact that Allah is one. One poet beautifully said once, كُلُّ شَيْءٍ لَهُ آيَةٌ تَدُلُّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّهُ وَاحِدٌ Every single thing is a sign indicating to this fact that Allah is one. There's no two Allah. There's no three. 
there are no no other beings that are have equal power i mean that's something that even we understand uh uh, uh in our normal uh uh systems that we have you have for example a government you know that there has to be one person running the government one person can two people cannot be given the same authority imagine if in one place you have two people given the same authority it doesn't work one person will try to cancel the other person's order and if they have the same authority it's, it's just going to go back and forth in one household you have one person Right in one in one place in one living system, you can have one person with a type of authority, and it cannot be at, at that degree, at the highest degree. You cannot you can't have other people of that same power. So system falls. You have in any organization, you have a a president. You don't have two presidents. You have a vice president, but you have only one president. In a monarchy, you have one king. You don't have two kings. If you get two kings under one monarchy, the system's going to collapse. You have, in our Islamic history, we had at one time, in one place, you had one khalifa. Anytime you try to bring in two khalifas gets what, with equal power, is going to be problematic. System's going to collapse. That's something that we naturally understand. So then, for the universe, that's functioning so beautifully and so perfectly and with such precision and accuracy, how could there be two? لو كان فيهما الله تعالى سيدنا القرآن لو كان فيهما آلهة إلا الله لفسدتا If there were gods other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the heavens and the earth would collapse. If there were others to rival the, the power of Allah ta'ala the heavens would collapse. I remember when um, in, in high school we I believe in one of the English classes one of the things that they, they teach is um, uh, uh, Greek mythology, right? Greek mythology is nothing but like you know fantasy. It's nothing but people's uh, uh, their their ideas that they, they they brought together. It has no reality to it, right? And you see that, right? It's it's quite funny, in fact, sometimes to see where you you say, okay, you have this one, you know, in their in their myth mythology, you have Zeus, and you have then these other you know gods, and then you have demigods and and you see how each one is 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 fighting the other. Any Subhanallah, how, how could that be? How could that be a description of God? We seek Allah Taala's protection from from these types of things, but it goes to show you how when Shaitan takes a person's uh, mind away from the truth, then Subhanallah. Same thing with with Hinduism. Is you see there how many gods there are. How many people are you going to worship? How many deities are you going to worship? And when you look at the myths that are the the, the fantasy that's in, involved and in the stories that sometimes are, are there, and how one god is clashing with another god, these are not gods. These are these are like human qualities that you know are you, you're just simply uh, 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 reflecting on 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 what you perceive to be as as God. Allah is one. قل هو الله أحد. Allah is one. He is one not only in his being. He is one in all of his sifat as well. What that, what that means is that no attribute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can be compared to with anyone else's attribute. Any, if Allah ta'ala has the attribute of mercy, 
others may have mercy. Others may demonstrate mercy, but recognize that the, the, the mercy that other creation demonstrates is nothing compared to Allah's mercy. He is one in all of that. Allahu samad As-Samad ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah, he says, in the original Arabic language, As-Samad refers to that chief, that leader, who everyone in the village brings their needs to. It's that leader, that chief, who everybody in the village brings their needs to, and he doesn't go to anyone for his needs. And so here, As-Samad is then Allah who everyone, not just everyone, but all creation is in need of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All creation brings its needs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is not in need of anyone or anything. Ya ayyuhannas, antumul fuqara'u ilallah, wallahu huwal ghaniyu. O people, O mankind, you are all Faqir, you are all beggars. You have nothing of yours. Everything is given to you by Allah. You are in need of Allah. Whatever you have is given to you by Allah. And Allah is Al-Ghani. He is the one who has everything. He doesn't need anyone. He doesn't need anyone's worship. It comes in one narration, I believe in Tirmidhi, that if all of creation, the first of them, the last of them, the men of them, the women of them, the, the uh, human of them, the jinn of them, if all of them together were to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if they were to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they were to beg Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they were to beg Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Allah ta'ala were to give them whatever they begged for, Allah ta'ala's treasure would not decrease by the slightest. Allah ta'ala's Treasure would not decrease by even a drop, like a drop from the ocean. And likewise, if all of creation, the first of them, the last of them, the human from them, the jinn from them, the men from them, the women from them, the old from them, the young from them, if all of them were to gather together and decide to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they were to decide to disobey Allah that would not affect Allah's power or Allah's treasure in any way. We are the creation of Allah Ta'ala. We are in need of Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala is not in need of us. Whatever we do, in fact, the benefit of it goes to us. We worship Allah Ta'ala, the benefit of that, we get. One who doesn't worship Allah Ta'ala, punishment is his. It's not affecting Allah Ta'ala in any way. Allah Samad. He is not in need of anything or anyone, but all things are needing him. All things need him. His very existence, uh, our existence, uh, or you can say his very existence is the reason why we exist. Our existence, even our existence is not comparable to the existence of Allah. What does that even mean? Like Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala is. That's why there are certain realms, there are certain degrees where after which a person, beyond that, their mind is not able to comprehend. That's just because of our own limitations that we have.
right? So for example, when we talk about the knowledge of Allah, the knowledge of Allah is infinite. What does that mean? Just the idea and concept of infinity, something being infinite. That's not something that the more you think about it, you, you come to realize you don't completely truly recognize that. You don't completely truly understand that. Why? Because you and I are finite beings. We had a beginning. We can only think of in finite terms, right? Infinity is, is as a concept is there. We use it. We use it in you know in in different you know higher uh, uh, um, uh, higher education, higher you know mathematics and whatnot. But it, it's a difficult concept to to grasp. Infinite, in, something being infinite. You know, even in the hadith, it comes in in. Uh, um, in the story of Musa السلام, and Khadr السلام, that while they were traveling, uh, they saw uh, Khadr السلام, saw a bird taking a sip from this large, you know, vast body of water. And he said, Oh Musa, you see the, the drop that this bird uh, took from, from this you know large body of water. Do you think it decreased anything from the from the water? He said, No, it's it's, it's like a small drop, small droplet that this bird took from this. And you imagine the ocean, you have the Pacific, small drop from there. He said, our knowledge is like that compared to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Our knowledge is like that drop from the ocean. And the ocean is like the knowledge of Allah. Even then, that example is just there for you and I to begin to understand. Otherwise, even that example does not do justice to the knowledge of Allah. Because even an ocean is limited. Even an ocean has its boundaries. Even an ocean has its boundaries. But the knowledge of Allah has no boundaries. The qudra of Allah, the power of Allah has no boundaries. Now based on that, we understand taqdeer. Right? What is taqdeer? It's the infinite knowledge of Allah Ta'ala. His knowledge of what is, what was, what is, what will be. And even then, these three concepts are attached to us because we live in time. What was, what is, what will be. Allah is the one who created time. Allah is not bound by time. Allah is not bound by time. We're bound by time. We're bound by time and space. Allah Ta'ala is the one who created time and space. Okay? That's Qulhu Allahu Ahad. Allahu Salam. Lam yarid wa lam yulad. He is not begot. He, he, he neither begot anyone nor was he begotten. And he, he has no children nor does he have any parents. Why? Because that also gives this idea that your children are similar to you. Your, your children have similar features to you. You have similar features to your parents. That brings about this whole idea of there being other demigods or there, you know, this, this concept of there being other people who could rival. You see, like in, in, in imagine in, in, in cases of power, in monarchy, right? You have a king, he has a son. The son at times may 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 fight for the, the for that power. There are incidents you will find in history where the the uh, spring, the heir, the, the, the uh, son, offspring, the heir to the throne, he actually does something to get rid of the king, his own father. Why? Because he wants that power. Right? So it means what? These are people who have similar powers. And we, we already established nothing is like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hence, Allah ta'ala has no children. Allah ta'ala 
that has no parents, Allah is one. Allah has no beginning, Allah has no end. Beginning and end are concepts that are related to us. Beginning and end necessitate time. Perhaps. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, again, He's not bound by time. Allah was always, Allah will always be. Allah was there, Allah will be. And what the, how that is, again, this is where our mind, we have to recognize that our mind has very limited capacity. There's a limit to what we can then imagine beyond that. وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفُوًا أَحَدٍ Kufuan means same, similar. And there's absolutely no one. Any uh, For those who may have studied a little bit of Arabic, you'll find that the order and arrangement in this ayah is switched a little bit to produce some, some other benefit. Right? So in Arabic, what happens is you have a general structure and any time you... Uh, uh, you switch something from that structure, then it produces some other meaning. Like in this case, a general structure could have been وَلَمْ يَكُنْ أَحَدٌ كُفُوًا لَهُ For again, anyone who understands a little bit of Arabic. General structure would have been لَمْ يَكُنْ أَحَدٌ كُفُوًا لَهُ But this structure produces another meaning. What is that meaning? There is absolutely no one there's absolutely no one who can compare to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who can compare to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As Allah ta'ala says in another ayah of the Quran, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ There is nothing like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nothing can compare to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is Allah. That is Allah. So this sets the foundation of the deen. This is tawheed. Without Tawheed, a person is not a Muslim. He's, he or she is not a Muslim without Tawheed. Now, Tawheed has two different elements to it that commonly are discussed. One is in terms of creed, in terms of what you believe. Then the second is in terms of practice. Okay, When we say that a person is not a Muslim, is not a mu'min, a believer, we're talking about from the creed aspect. You have to believe that there is only one Allah. There is no, there's no other than Allah. There is Allah and there is nothing. There is no one who is like Allah. And Allah is one. No one can compete and compare to his being or his attributes. Okay. One who believes that. Right, that's the now foundation of creed. Who do, whoever doesn't believe that, then is not a Muslim. The second is in terms of our own practice. Now, what happens is we may believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and we may believe that obedience is only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but then we have to look at our own actions. What do our actions represent? What do our actions express? If, for example, a person is doing something, following his desires, 
which goes against the commandment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Well, then in, in, in a way, he is doing what? He is obeying his nafs. Likewise, when it comes to people, if, if you take an order from someone else that goes against the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, now you have obeyed that individual and you have disregarded the obedience of Allah. Now, that doesn't make a person mushrik, right? Because in your heart, you still believe in one Allah. But that is what we call shirk in terms of aman. Shirk in terms of aman. That in our actions, we're not representing, we're not expressing what we believe in our heart. That's something we need to work on. Okay, that's something we need to work on. That our, just like what we believe, if we believe that Allah is one and that Allah is the only being deserving of worship, then that's how our actions, that's what our actions should represent. That we show that in our action. A couple of examples. Time for prayer comes. Now, alhamdulillah, with prayer, yeah, you have a, you have a span of time that you could pray in. Fajr time comes. You're extremely tired. You don't want to wake up. You delay the prayer. And then finally, when you have enough time where you could pray, you have the you could get up and pray. What do you do? You choose not to pray. You prefer your sleep. Well, there's a problem there. You gave preference to your own desire over the commandment of Allah. You have to fast in the month of Ramadan. You don't feel like fasting, but you have to fast. You don't fast, you have just given preference to your desire. Huh, we're, we're not talking about exceptions. We're not talking about, uh, um, you know, different circumstances. Of course, there may be certain circumstances where a person may not be able to fast or whatever the case may be. We're not talking about those circumstances. We're just talking about normal circumstances. Okay, so that's something that we have to make, uh, 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 we have to work on. That what we express to our actions must represent what we believe in. We believe Allah is one. We say, Allahu ahad. So how, does, how is that expressed? Whenever the commandment of Allah comes, you follow it. You don't look at what other people say. You don't look at what your desires say. You follow the commandment of Allah. We believe Allahu samad. Allah is independent of all things and everything is dependent to Allah. Whenever we have a need, we believe this. Now, whenever we have a need, who do we bring it to first? Allah. We bring it to Allah first. We make dua to Allah. Ya Allah, this is my need. Ya Allah, assist me in this need. After that, if we want to use whatever means that are available to us, go ahead. That's part of our deen. You can use the means that are available to you. If that means asking someone for help, no problem. But who do you go to first? Allah. Why? Because what did we just say? Allahu samad. We need Allah. Allah is not in need of us. And there's no one who can help us or benefit us except for Allah. There's a narrations of, of, this, uh, of this meaning as well. That if the whole creation together were to come and try to benefit someone, they can't. And where if Allah Ta'ala had decided that there's gonna, this person won't get any benefit, there's nothing anyone or anything could do. Gather the greatest of superpowers, that are out there, gather uh, um, all the money you want, that people won't be able to do anything. And if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wishes to 
protect someone, then if the whole world is against him or her, if the whole world gathers together, their armies and their, their technology and whatnot to, to harm this individual, they will not be able to. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made that decision. You see that time and again in the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You have certain moments where any, as a, if, if you were to simply look at that moment by itself in isolation, without looking at what happens afterwards, you would have thought, a person would have came to the conclusion, oh, this is it, this is it. But you find time and again in the seerah, you, you find in, in the life of the believers, you, you open up any book that has like biographies of some of the pious people and some of the things that they had to go through. You see that subhanAllah, the whole world is trying to eradicate them. And yet subhanAllah, somehow they're, they're still there. What, what is that? How, what is that somehow? That is Allah, right? So whenever we have a need, who do we present that to first? We present it to Allah. We don't present it to anyone or anything else. We present it to Allah first. Then, as I said, whatever means are available, we use that. So that is how we try to express and represent what we believe through our actions. There are some ways. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq to understand and to implement uh, what was heard, what was said. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, give us insight to the Qur'an, allow us to develop a connection with the Qur'an, allow us to... Uh, um, uh, uh, learn the Quran and grow in our understanding of the Quran so that through it we get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala one final ayah from the Quran this is the last ayah of Surah Al-Kahf Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says فَمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُوا لِقَاءَ رَبِّهِ فَلْيَعْمَلْ عَمَلًا صَالِحًا فَلْيَعْمَلْ عَمَلًا صَالِحًا وَلَا يُشْرِكْ بِعِبَادَةِ رَبِّهِ أَحَدًا Anyone who desires to meet Allah فَمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُوا لِقَاءَ رَبِّهِ Whoever wants to and desires to meet his Lord فَلْيَعْمَلْ What should he or she do? They should do righteous deeds, good deeds وَلَا يُشْرِكْ and they should not associate anyone in their worship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They should not associate anyone with Allah in their worship. So it's in terms of both. In terms of our creed, in terms of our belief, as well as in terms of our actions, we should not associate anyone or anything. We should not give preference to the command of anyone or anything above the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. سبحان الله وبحمده سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك